Uh, we're doing a series on this particular letter, and uh, we're going to read verse 3 down to 14. In fact, which in the original language is one long sentence without punctuation, without a full stop. It's just as if the whole thing is just gushed. And you, when you read this, I think you'll get an idea, but I, even reading it in English with punctuation and full stops, uh, it is actually very different in the original. So let's read, and then we're going to go on a journey, and I pray a tremendous blessing comes to you today. Uh, and I'm going to do my best with God's grace. Amen. So Ephesians 1 verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the Beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him... We have obtained an inheritance and have been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the word of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantor of our inheritance, or the guarantee of our inheritance, until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Now, I, uh, I got many books. Most people go to my office and go, man, you've got a lot of books. I got one book of sermons on Ephesians, and the preacher did 25 sermons from verses 3 to verse 14. And, uh, and so, he's a very good preacher, uh, but I'm going to do one. Is that okay? <laughs> it's because I want to be kind to you. Now, today, I want to speak on what I've called the context of the church. Now, uh, in uh, both uh, uh, here and in Building Nudgel, we're doing a series on what I call the Jailbird Letters. Paul is writing from prison, and he is possibly the freest man who ever lived. And he's writing to churches. And as he writes to churches under this title, Ephesians, he's writing to people who are so-called free, yet many of them are prisoners with their own thinking. They don't really know who they are in God. Even our sister who shared a testimony this morning, she was actually, from top to bottom, was, I really need to fully come into that full identity of who I am in Christ. That's, that's really what she shared. And she has really begun to discover that. Now, uh, with this here, uh, in Billy Nigel, we're going through the book of Colossians, which was written to a problem. 
a very specific problem. People had come with a package of ideas and introduced to the church. And the theme of that letter is Christ is the head over all philosophy in the thinking of man. And uh, it's very specific, and, and Paul is defending an issue, what's called polemical. Uh, he writes another letter exactly at the same time uh, to a little letter called Philemon, just before your book of Hebrews in your New Testament. And that little letter is a letter written to a very wealthy man in a rural church. And his name is Philemon, hence the name of the book. And the book is about reconciling where there was deep division. And it's all, thrust that little letter is about forgiveness and reconciliation. And it's a very, very personal letter. It's because usually when we deal with forgiveness, it's a very personal issue. And so that letter works that way. Now, I mentioned if we read the book of Colossians, Colossians 4.16, it says, See that you also read the letter coming from Laodicea, not written to Laodicea, coming from. And most people uh, or, or many of the theologians believe that is actually referring to this letter, Ephesians, which is an encyclical letter written to the, all the churches of Asia as it's circulated through. And we talked about that last week. Now, I also uh, uh, wanted to say here, this letter is focus, is the church in union with Christ. That is the focus. So the focus is on the church and for the church to understand who it truly is. And so with that there, uh, we mentioned that. I mentioned that last week, the key word of this letter, I believe, is actually the word ecclesia, or what we use as church, or could be translated assembly. So it's mentioned nine times right through the letter. There are other key words, this phrase, in Christ, phrase, purpose, will, plan, and also mystery. You're going to bump into every one of those terms in this introduction that I read to you today. Now, uh, this is what is called a doxology of praise. And so Ephesians begins with this incredible doxology. Now, my outline of this is Ephesians is just written in two sections, uh, chapters 1 to 3, which deal with our vertical relationship with God, who you are in that relationship. And then chapters uh, 4 to 6 deal with how we deal horizontally with our world, uh, how we live in conduct, how we deal with conflict within our world. And so with that there, today I just come to what I call the context of the church, the context of this whole letter that it sits within, or what some call a doxology of praise. Now, I want to just say a few things, if I can, by way of introduction that I referred to last week that's going to help you as we proceed. And the first is the key verse, possibly in the whole book of Ephesians, is verse 3. And it's the beginning of one very long sentence it doesn't stop all the way to verse 14. And it's as if Paul can't even pause for breath. <sighs> you get to the end of that. Uh, you, uh, you, go, whoa, whoa. <laughs> uh, you know when someone just gushes everything forth. He doesn't even put a punctuation or a full stop in it. It just goes warm. Now, I introduced this verse last week, and I said this is probably one of the key verses of the whole of Ephesians. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, uh, who has blessed us, us, that's you, in 
Christ, in Christ, with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And we unpacked that and we began to look at that. One theologian uh, put it this way, paraphrasing it, but I love this. It goes, this, this is like a snowball cascading down a mountain, gathering in size, pace and influence until it hits the bottom. And man, you get one big whack at the bottom. You follow the concept. And so, uh, uh, you know, Ephesians only does this. Colossians goes straight to a prayer. Philemon goes straight to a prayer. But Ephesians does not. Now, there's a reason. Because Paul has been in prison for two years. Anyone been in prison for a couple? Oh, you didn't raise your hand. <laughs> Confess your sin. <laughs> but if you've been in prison for, for two years or so, uh, you've got a lot of time to think. And it wasn't like modern prison. Uh, Paul had freedom for people to come and go, but he was in chains. And he got changed by four Roman guards right through the day. They'd come in, chain them up to him, and he would sit there. And so if you're in prison, you usually scratch and whittle away how many days you were there. But let me tell you, Paul put that to good use, and he spent a lot of time thinking. I think earlier in his career, he spent a lot of time dealing with problems in the church. But now he's had an encounter with God. And in this encounter, as, as he comes uh, and he's in chains, he's had a lot of time to really think through uh, that what is going to gush forth here. And it just says there, uh, I mentioned last week, and I'm going to stick with this illustration right through this letter, is this letter is a little like we have been blessed it's a little like the, the story of Cinderella. You know, Cinderella, you know, the, the poor servant girl who had two stepsisters and, and a very nasty stepmom, and, and she lived in a poverty and in service. And one day she met a fairy godmother who waved the magic wand and the pumpkin turned into a coach. The mice turned into grand steeds. She was reattired as a royal princess. She had a beautiful glass slippers, and off she went to the ball. You know the story? It's because she's going to become the infatuation of the prince and be the future princess of the whole kingdom. Now, in a way, uh, Paul is, is the one uh, who is that fairy godmother. He, he's trying to give you a little uh, realignment in who you really are. And that girl is going to be the focus, if I can say, uh, there, of this whole journey through this letter. In fact, it's a very important theme. And this word, in Christ, Paul uses it 27 times in this letter alone, 164 times in all these letters. A very important phrase, in Christ. And just in these verses, verses 3 to 14, 12 verses, uh, we have in Christ and in Him used 10 times alone. So the emphasis of this passage of Scripture is who? You better get that. Who's the emphasis of the passage on? It's on Christ. It's in Jesus. Okay. Now, with this here, I mentioned last week, once we're in Adam, uh, we're connected to a family tree, a tree of death. But now we're in Christ, and we're connected through another tree, which is the cross of Christ. And in a way, this letter will unpack that. And it tells the story to the churches about bringing into unity where there was disharmony and division. And so uh, it's going to speak of union between those people come from the Old Covenant, New Covenant, Jew and Gentile. It's going to tell a story of union of a stones into one temple. It's going to tell a story as a, a body to a head, but most importantly, it's going to crescend to the climax and it's going to 
depict this union as between a wife and a husband, between Cinderella and her prince. Now, everything will flow to that. And with this here, this union in Christ, I mentioned, was like Jesus' teaching in John 15, 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me will bear much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. And if you graft a branch into a vine, there is a union where there is literally a flow of sap, a flow of life, a flow of blessing that flows. And in that union, this living organic union, this is the world that we now uh, uh, should be in our understanding as Christian believers, as the church, Eastgate, Billy Nigel, doesn't matter uh, who you are, I don't care if you're Anglican, you're Baptist, is you, uh, whatever tag you sit under, you, if you're a believer in Christ, you're in union with him. There's been literally a grafting. There's, there's a, in a way, nearly a oneness, uh, a, a uniqueness. Now, before I say what I want to do next, as I outline this, which uh, one theologian says is impossible to outline, let me just say this, and I want to take a, a, a few uh, steps uh, just here, uh, just to say my greatest ever worship encounter that I've ever experienced was not in church, was not in a home group, was not in the desert uh, where I first got saved. My greatest ever encounter in worship was driving a car in a car with my boss. And we're on a five-hour drive from a place called Willow Warren near Kempsey all the way through to Glen Innes. And during that trip, we prayed and we began to worship God. And my, 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 I had an encounter that night. Now, I don't even know how Max drove. I still, to this day, don't even know how he kept his eyes on the road and kept the vehicle where it was. Because I had a spiritual encounter. So powerful was that encounter for me on that night. Literally, I nearly thought I could step into heaven, into another dimension. It was profound. But when I had that encounter and we came out the other side and somehow we got home, to this day I still don't know how we got home, how do you put that into words? How do you articulate that? I could never, rep- I've never reproduced like that ever before. I cannot teach that. I, Paul one time says he was caught up into the third heaven and, 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 and experienced things too inexpressible. He couldn't even articulate, put into words. Now, can I just say for all of our lives that um, uh, when we come to this passage, Paul, I believe, has had an encounter with God. And in this encounter, how do you put this into words? But he tries. And it just comes out one great gush from verse 3 to 14. And so the letter begins here in this doxology. Now, one theologian said this of this passage. Listen to this. It is not possible to discern any clear-cut formula or arrangement of the text, but it is possible to identify a definite movement of thought. Now, I'm going to stick with that definite movement of thought, which I believe is there. And this movement of thought is Paul is talking about our context of who we're in relationship to. Now, in that relationship, 
This passage is Trinitarian from top to bottom. And it speaks of our or Paul's encounter and your relationship with the Father, with the Son, and with the Holy Spirit. So we come to the Father in verse. And, 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 and why this is so difficult, it's like the braid of a rope. is because you don't know where it begins and ends. And as that rope braids and wraps around, it still just continues through the whole rope. And, and, and as you just follow the rope, you just get one side of each braid as you follow the rope down. Do you follow what I'm saying? Now, it's a little like that. And so what happens, Paul begins to talk of our relationship with God the Father in verses 3 to 6. And it finishes with this phrase, to the praise of his glorious grace. Paul can't articulate this into words. And so he just goes, glory. Or the Greek word is doxa, where we draw the English word doxology from. It's just like, wow, glory. The glory of his grace. And then in verses 7 to 12, we deal with our Lord Jesus Christ. And in those verses, verses 7 to 12, um, uh, it ends again with this phrase, to the praise of his glory. Paul just gets to the end and just goes, ha, ha, doxa, uh, which means doxology, uh, where we draw, you would not believe. This just blows my mind as he shares this. And then he speaks of the Holy Spirit in verses 13 to 14, and it ends again to the praise of his glory. So the whole thing is just one great doxology of praise, just like this rope, and it's all wound together. It gushes forth from Paul, and we really, uh, yes, it's difficult, but I want to follow that, that outline. Is that okay? So uh, I just want to do this. So I want to begin, if I can, with God the Father. And, uh, and in this passage, uh, it just goes there. Listen to this. Uh, God the Father, even as he chose us in him, that's in Christ, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. Now, uh, I don't know whether you caught the real words here in this passage, but it's, uh, is there chosen, predestined, uh, planned, uh, all of these words, true, 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 as Paul encounters the Father, and he tries to put this into words. Now, before I, uh, I actually proceed here, can I just do a little diversion? Is that all right? Years ago, when I was a young guy, and some of you guys go, yep, that was years ago. But I remember... I went through my school years, I went to Western Australia, and I came back, and there was that moment, I saw her. <laughs> oh, man alive, I saw her. And when I saw her, everyone else dropped off the map. There was only one girl that I saw, and I saw her, and I saw her one time, and I went, whoa, man, <laughs> whoa, and man, i got to develop a plan. <laughs> and I developed a plan by hook or by crook. Somehow, I was going to meet that girl. You know, 
And so every opportunity and moment I had in time, if I saw her, it might have been at the bus stop, the slightest glimpse at the school, uh, is, and, and, you know, it just gets fixed in your mind. It's like it begins with a little trickle and it becomes a great ravine. And then every thought gets channeled through that. Whoa, man, I got my eye on her. And I saw her and I saw her and I developed a plan. And my plan was by hook or by crook, I was going to meet her. Uh, now, some of you had that experience. Uh, uh, now, I articulated my plan, and she thought then that she chose me and that I was smart for choosing her, but I'd chosen her a long time before she ever even met me. You follow what I'm saying? Now, can I just say, I'm not sure how that works for you, but I know how it works for me, and I did marry that girl. And I think she's out the back. Some Oh, no, she's up the back. <laughs> she just heard everything I said. Roll the tape back. <laughs> oh, well, just to wipe that off. Um, but can, can I just... Oh, yeah. I tell you, in that plan, there was one day I knew I had to front up to the old man. <laughs> Ah, oh, that's a coming too. For some of you guys, young guys, you got that to get to too. Now, um, with that there, can I just say, as Paul comes to God, the Father, he saw you before the foundation of the world, and he chose you. Now, <laughs> what people have done with that? Now, I saw my girl before she even knew I existed. But when it comes to God to you, he saw you from before the foundation of the world. Now, I don't know whether you've ever... Have you thought about that? That means before time even began to exist. Now, <laughs> now don't take this passage and turn it into a theological club to then bash people on the head to your particular sectarian theological position. No, friends... Paul is in an encounter with God, and you need to understand who you are with your relationship with God. And God had a plan, and he saw you in Christ. That's the important phrase, in Christ before the foundation of the world. Now, I was raised not believing that at all. I believe from good to you by way of the zoo. I was raised, Auntie June was a baboon. My whole worldview for the first 19 years of my life was absolutely secular, and I believe this universe began by a quantum fluctuation. What's that? A big bang. Uh, well, that means there had to be a big fuse. And, um, and that everything came, and then, uh, you know, as I was taught, that everything runs by chance. And that you are a product of chance and a product of particular thinking. And here you are, and Auntie June was a baboon. Now, or a, or a common ancestor, they'll tell you. Now, can I just say with that worldview, which was I was raised in the first 20 years of my life, I thought I found God and that I chose him. <laughs> a little bit like when my Sue found me. 
She thought she chose me. But he'd seen you and I a long time before he ever chose. He chose you right before even time began. Now, <laughs> that begins to rattle our thinking. That shakes us to the core. We struggle with that. Now, secular man, this is at least what I was taught for the first 20 years of my life. I never heard anything other. Is, is under the theory of evolution, origin is chance. Uh, it's according to natural change. It's slow change. In fact, the universe is meant to be 13.8 billion years old if you go by their equations. Uh, our Earth is 6 billion years old. And death and accident were the hero because it drove a mechanism called natural selection. So supposedly brought you and I here. Now, I, I believe totally in Ephesians 4.18, that is darkened thinking in understanding. That's where I was. That's where I lived. And then I bumped into God. And suddenly I find that God says that he has been orchestrating this universe from right from the beginning. This world was brought in by supernatural change and it was pretty rapid six days the bible says and a seventh to rest and it brought life and order and this does not run on the law of natural selection it runs by the grace of supernatural election there's a big difference friends now i know there's people in the room and you'd go where are we going here let me read a quote uh, by William Provine to the world I came from. He's a scientist. He's died a little while back. Let me summarize my views. William Provine says, on what modern evolutionary biology tells us loud and clear, and I must say that these are basically Darwin's views. There are no gods, no personal forces of any kind, no life after death. When I die, I'm absolutely certain that I'm going to be completely dead. That's just it. All that's going to be the end of me. There is no ultimate foundation for ethics, no ultimate meaning of life, no free will for humans either. Now, do you hear that? And Paul goes, no, no, no. He says, there's a plan. And you're a part of that plan. And not only that plan, but he chose us before the foundation of the world. Now, men alive, I've got to somehow get through all of this, but can I, I just say, instantly this raises the issue in people's minds. Well, okay, God's sovereignty, but we have free will. And the church divides into two camps. You know, those with sovereign sovereignty of God, he chose us before the founder. You are elect. And then these others going, but yet, you know, we've got free will and etc. And, you know, uh, as I, I like to draw it like that, like a triangle and a circle. Can I reconcile those two things? I usually use, illustrate this way. Well, to be really honest, in a two-dimensional world, you never can. But when you go up one dimension, friends, and you spin that triangle in space, the circle immediately marries the triangle. But in a 3D dimension, I can comprehend, I can understand but how do I come to a 2D world and communicate that to the world? That's my problem. C.S. Lewis, as he wrestled with this, he, he, he depicted it as a gate. And over the front of the gate goes, whosoever, come. And when you enter through the gate and you look back at the other side, it says, congratulations, chosen before the foundation of the world. And your little minds go, <laughs> I can't. 
doesn't compute, doesn't compute. I can't understand because you're trying to put a 3D dimension into a 2D world of understanding. This is a doxology, friends. Paul is caught up in the glory of God. And friends, I, I, can't, I can't fully understand. All I know is what the Word reveals. And I align myself to the word, word, and I align myself to that truth. Now, if I, if I can, can I, can I just bring this back to my, whoa, man. <laughs> can, can I do that for a second? There's a song uh, that came out by the Pretenders. Uh, I don't know if you remember, Chrissy Hines sang this song called Brass in Pocket. And uh, I actually quite always liked the song. It came out in 1979, I think, so a long time ago. But, but I don't know whether you remember the words. And it goes, Because I, I'm going to make you see There's nobody else here. No one but me. I'm special. So special. I'm going to get, or what is it? It's actually, she worded it this way. I'm going to have some of your attention. Uh, do, 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 do. Uh, you guys going to walk away today and go, you put that song in my head. <laughs> I'm special, so special, because, no, 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 friends. <laughs> it's because you were the focus of his attention. Do you, do you get it? And she might go, I'm going to use my fingers, going to use my arms, going to use my legs, going to use my sidestep. Uh, no, friends, you don't have to use any of that because you are the attention. Now, Sue will say, keep your voice down. And, um, and so you are the attention from, from before the foundation of the world. Now, I, I don't want to labor too much time here, but this is so important. God had his eye on you. And when he actually comes, you know, some people get all upset with this. Some people go, oh, that's not fair. God is unjust if it's like that. Well, the next verse 5, it says, in love, he predestined you. But if you flip to the other side of the coin, there are some who just bring this down to cold clinical theology and it just becomes so judgmental, so exclusive. The chosen frozen. Because they try and bring it down to logic. You follow what I'm saying? Friends, you're special. You're part of a plan. And some of you just don't realize how special you really are. You're special. Thanks, Dave. You did well there before, too, by the way. And, um, and so, in fact, maybe I put it this way. The Old Testament says that God chose Israel. Let me, let me just come there just for a moment. Deuteronomy 7, 6 and 7. For it says there, For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has what? Has chosen you. To be a people for his treasured possession. That word in Hebrew is very pictorial. It's a little like, can you imagine, uh, you know, some mothers, they do this. They get what's called a glory box. I, I, you might call it an honor box or whatever. And they give it to their daughter, and they put little treasures all in that little glory box all through their life. You know what I mean? And, and it comes, and then on the day that she either reaches a certain age or on a wedding day, the mother gives her that glory box. You follow what I'm saying? And, and in that is all the treasured possession. It's special. It's special. 
And you, Israel, were special. They're in God's glory box. Out of all the peoples on the face of the earth, it was, was it because you were more in number than the other nations? No, friends. Was it because you had some great attributes? No. You're just special. So sp- Anyway. Um, and, and so with this there, Paul just says this. This was God's choosing. Now, now let, me, let me just come and let me just say this. You were chosen to be holy and blameless. So anyone talks like this and then go, oh, I can go and sin, you missed the whole point. You're actually for holiness, to be blameless. The word holiness means set apart from all others. It was like when I saw that one girl, all the other girls left the planet. She was set apart from them all. And can I just say blameless, without blushing, without blemish. Now, you know what a lot of people will miss with this? Ephesians 5, 27 will speak of this with a husband and wife. Listen to these words. And it says, because Christ's relationship with his church is like a relationship with a man to his wife. And it says, there, shower your wife with words. And that's a novel thought for a man, isn't it? You girls go, how was your day? Good. <laughs> embroider, embroider. I want a little bit more. Uh, but the Bible says, shower your wife, sanctify her, it says, and that so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle, that she might be, what's the word? Holy and without blemish. The exact frame, same phrase that Paul writes here in Ephesians 1.4. You got it? Now, uh, now, the second thing, in love we have been chosen to be adopted as sons. Let me be quick on this. A lot of teaching on this, but Roman adoption, where Paul drew this concept from, is the moment that child was adopted, all the legal rights became to the child as if they were naturally born. The father then had all rights over that child as if it was their literal child. That's how strong adoption was. Now, Jesus was the natural son of the father. (laughs) God's love has adopted you in. And you just have all the same rights because you are in Christ. Are you with me? I think some of you are getting nervous where we're going with this. But anyway, we'll keep going. So verse 5 says, He predestined us to the adoption of Himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of His will. Um, That word is a very difficult word, eudokia. and, And actually could be translated just as well, pleasure. So the NIV translates in accordance with his pleasure and will because he enjoyed doing it. He chose his girl because she's special to him. Okay? Now, Acts 2.23 says God had a plan. And this plan is so concrete, some people don't like the church. I said this last week. They hate the church. But can I just say, how does God view the church? Well, he saw it before the foundation of the world. Now, not only that, uh, as, as it came, that plan, when mankind attempts to do his worst and they crucify his own son, God just overruled it to work it to good to redeem you and I that we then have a relationship with God for eternity. And when men do his worst, God's plan is not shaken and rattled at all. Uh, do you realize you're part of a plan? 
Whoa, man, you're part of the plan. Uh, anyway, um, and this then gives me a lot of, lot of comfort is because it just removes all boasting from people. Uh, I know that God saved me. And don't try and pull this down and go and put this nice logical reason. You're caught up in a doxology of glory in heaven and I can't communicate a 3D world to a 2D atmosphere. You follow what I'm saying? So I've done my best. So let me, and, and, and it ends, to the praise of his glory. Oh, far out. <laughs> Doxa. Uh, and, and then this word blessed, it literally means you are be graced. I love that. You are be graced. <laughs> you, you, you're now just be graced. Uh, it, it, it's literally yoked to you. And, uh, and then it says in the beloved, that's a messianic term. And uh, at the course of time, I can't do, go into this, but God spoke that over his son, he was the beloved when he was first baptized on the Mount of Transfiguration. But do you know what the synonym to that? As Luke tells us in Luke 9.35, a voice came out of the cloud saying, this is my son, my what? My chosen one. And when you're in Christ, you're in the chosen one. And when you're in him, friends, I don't know how this works. All I know is this little branch is grafted in the vine and I'm a part of a big plan and hunky-dory. It's going to a great conclusion. And that's a little bit better than William Provine's definition of this world. Now, with this here, and uh, I will try and do this quickly, and, and how in the world I ever do this justice, I don't know. Maybe I should have done 35 messages on these 12 verses. Let me just come. It's because, friends, the next braid in this whole rope is Jesus Christ. Who have you been brought into union with? And it's the longest section, but I'll do it quick. The primary work that Jesus has done for you is to redeem you. Now, in redemption, as redemption means deliverance from slavery by a ransom price. Someone paid a price to bring you into liberty and freedom. Now, with this here, that verse that I read in Deuteronomy before, if I read the next verse about that choosing of Israel, in God's plan at that time, the Lord has brought you out by, with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery. Redemption always goes with the choosing. So the son always goes with the father. And, and you know, First Peter just puts it, we've been redeemed with the precious blood of Christ like that of a lamb. A lamb without blemish or spot. And if you kept reading, it goes chosen before the foundation of the world. Now, friends, I can't get my head around this. But I just know that God is good. And he sent Jesus and who I'm yoked into is just wonderful. Ephesians 1.7 says, with this, the primary aspect of redemption is forgiveness. It begins your journey, aphesis. It means loosening someone from what binds them. You've been set free from sin and trespass. You're free. <laughs> your chains fell off. Huggy dory. I'm a free boy. I've been set free. I'm like Israel brought out of Egypt. And forgiveness, that might start my journey of redemption, but this journey is going to the glorification and the transformation of a new heaven and new earth. It's a big journey, and you're a part of that plan. According to the riches of His grace, Paul will use that over and over through this letter. 
and lavished. I just love this, that he's lavished upon you. He didn't come and just give you a little sweetheart present. You just got lavished, lavished. I tell you, my wife gets likes getting lavished. Uh, the other day, I was teaching in Brisbane, and they gave me flowers just for Sue. And I, I pulled the card off, came home, and went, there you go, honey. <laughs> and then I told the truth, and, uh, and I said the truth. And then, so I, I felt, oh, no, I better make up for that. So I went and bought her a great big bunch of flowers with Hayley to march through the door. And then oh, some of the girls she'd been speaking, there was flowers, flowers, flowers. She got lavished. And God, like a spring overflowing, you've been lavished, lavished in Christ. And all wisdom and knowledge, which simply means God has opened your eyes to see what Jesus has really done for you. You've been redeemed. Man alive, you're Cinderella. And there's a transformation. The pumpkin is a stagecoach. <laughs> ah, anyway, and, uh, and then... Jesus does a few more things. So do this quick. He's revealed the mystery. Now, this simply is a word mystery. We're going to come over it again. So I won't spend much time here at this moment. But Jesus has revealed, the mystery is revealed in him. Colossians is going to tell you, the mystery is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Colossians 1.27. But Martin Lloyd-Jones puts it something like this. He goes, a mystery, something which is secret beyond the reach of the natural human mind, but which God has revealed and unfolded to those who believe. Man, you would not believe what God has done until this was unveiled. And now he's given you the wisdom and the insight to see what has happened. Man, we come in, we're in him. We're part of this whole wonderful journey. We're in the plan. And, and, and the word literally here, there, the mystery of his will uh, there, uh, Christ as the plan, literally is a word that means administration or household. And this whole household would come in. God brought Jesus Christ exactly at the right fullness of time in history, Galatians 4.4. 4. He's brought him in. And now he's united you. And can I just pause here with an original language word? It's a shocking word. Daphne's not here, so she can't correct me. But listen to this. Oh, she is here. Oh, my, my, my. She's Greek. And I know a little Greek. She's five foot four, and she sits up there and corrects all my Greek. So here we go. Uh, and and, and it, it's this word, Anna Kafar La Iamoahi. Did I get that, Daph? Anyway, just forget it. <laughs> just forget it. But you sort of know what it means. It's because Anna, Anna is the word that means again. Kafale means head. It means to again to come under the headship. This was a mathematical term from the first century. Who likes maths? Highly. Um, and, uh, and what happened when they did their sums in the first century, they did all their sums like you do running down the page. But when they come to the sum answer, they wrote it at the head the top of the page. It was the sum of everything. And you have come again to the headship of Christ who rules over everything. 
He's brought everything back into harmony or is going to bring everything into harmony. And so all things, not universalism, we're not talking about that, all those discordant things. There's no uh, Galatians 3.28, neither Jew nor Gentile, slave, free, male or female. In fact, he's going to all reunite all those from in the heavens who've already gone to heaven before us. And he's going to unite them to you. He's going to bring everything together. And so the fourth thing here is we become an inheritance. And our translations, oh, they so wrestle with this, is because they don't know how to translate this. And so the ESV says, we are the God's inherit. Uh, no, so it says, the ESV says that our inheritance is in God. You know, if you get God, you get the inheritance. But in actual fact, the NIV, I think, gets this right. And it goes, in him, we are also chosen, having predestined according to the plan. They're grappling to try and put these words of Paul. But simply this is that you are God's inheritance. You're special, so special, because you are the focus of his attention. Uh, You're with me? And so we're nearly done. We've got one more braid, and it's going to go quick. Is that all right? And and so uh, you are the treasured possession in the Old Testament. You, you're the ones who are now special in God, where Jesus is going to unite all things in that final glorification, and unify all what was divided and and brought wrongly by the fall. So we come to the final braid, and we come to the Holy Spirit. And Paul just says, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit as the guarantee. Now, let me just come here. Is that in you just means the Gentiles, you, that's you, and you hear the word, which is the same as the gospel, you believed, you were sealed. What's that mean? And let me just finish with this. Sealed, sfragdizo, uh, is a word that means you're authentic, you're the real deal. It's, it's a little bit like, uh, uh, you know, they have this problem with people counterfeiting currency, and, and you pull, let's pull one of these out. Uh, pull out one of these greenback suckers and it had double O, you'd be very happy. And you go, yeah, do I know that's true or not? You go up and put it up in the window and there's a seal written right within it. But you are sealed. You are sealed now. You're the authentic, real deal of God because the Holy Spirit is now in you because of God's work of choosing, Jesus' work of redemption. And now you come, you are sealed. You're in God with the promised Holy Spirit. The whole Old Testament was speaking of this promise. Jesus spoke of this promise. And listen to this word, and we end with this. The guarantee, the guarantee, uh, the ESV puts it. In Greek, it's arabon. Arabon was a loan word from the Phoenician world, and it meant first installment, the down payment. Uh, it is the full inheritance is coming because you got the first down payment. But even more fun, can I just say this? We end here. Arabon in modern Greek means what, Daphne? It means engagement ring. Because you're special, so special. And I remember when Nikki Dent came in, and that one boy chose her, and she became the focus and the apple of his eye. And she came in with that stone on her finger. She came in, hallelujah, hallelujah. Oh, man alive. It's because you are special. Do you realize who you really are? And so, friends, God, God 
focus was on you. He chose you. Do you know who you really are? Is Jesus Christ redeemed you so you'd be holy and blameless and you'd be dressed in white? <laughs> and the Holy Spirit becomes your engagement ring, which means man alive, there's a wedding up ahead. And this is a good place to be because you're special, so special, because you are the focus of his attention. Let's stand. Let's pray.